You know, I don't know if you've ever been like me where where I've had a desire to minister to others, but um, and sometimes, especially in some areas, I just didn't really know know how. One of the things that's been really helpful with the Life Giving Discipleship Program, and I guess I've been through it now a couple of times, and I, I want to go through it again. That's one of the things. Once you go through this once, you're gonna you're gonna want to study it even more deeply. But it has given me the tools, um, not just knowledge and not just information, but um, tools to really let God work in my life and work through my life. It, it motivates me to be in the Word and saturated in God's Word myself, and then to be able to take what I'm learning and impart it to others. And it, it tells me how to do that. You know, one thing all of us have is a testimony, just things as simple as that. How do, how do you take your testimony and really putting, put it in a meaningful format that somebody else can enjoy it? What are your real priorities in life? What should they be? What are they? And then, not just what they are, but how do you apply those? How this That's what life-giving discipleship is helping to teach me along the way and then helping me also to be able to take that and, and, and share that, not just information with others, but how do you apply that in life? What does it look like in the real world to be a follower of Jesus Christ? That's what life-giving discipleship is all about. We are just you know, about I don't know ready if you've ever been like me where, to watch where this video again. Desire to All right. No, we are just about ready to get started on this journey, and I couldn't be more excited about what God is doing. We've been in months of praying, planning, and preparing, and it's going to be a 14-week journey as we walk through the book of 2 Timothy, and at the same time, we're going through this life-giving discipleship because we want to train every single person in our church to have the skills so that you can develop a real mature relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the fruitfulness of just walking with him and having a ministry to others. It's kind of like, think of it this way, we're going on a road trip, okay? Now, I'm sure you've all been on road trips. Uh, Karina and I have had plenty in our lives, and I mean, lots of really good memories and even some not-so-good ones, but you know how it is when you, like, get all those kids. For us, there's four kids and packing them in the van and all their stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, and the younger they are, the more stuff that they have. Babies, he's like, you need like a trailer or something for all their junk, right? But then you not only have that, and hopefully, you know, you had a couple cats, and we tried to avoid taking the cats on these journeys, but you get everybody packed in there. And I tell you what, just when you finally get down the road, and just to be able to glance over and like see Karina, and like, ah, we're doing it, and, and we're making some memories, right? But of course, if you're on a road trip, you know that you got to take care of your vehicle, right? So, for instance, you need to refuel on a regular basis. When it gets close to the E, that means you need to pull over quickly at a gas station and fill up. That makes sense, right? But if you're on an extended journey, why, you need to check the oil. You need to look at those tires, right? Make sure they're in good condition. Make sure they have the right tire pressure. All of these things, that's inherent of a road trip. And then, of course, that's the vehicle. But then you have the people, right? And you got to take care of the people, so you need to make sure that they get nourishment, right? Uh, here's the tricky part. You want to keep people hydrated, but not too hydrated, right? So like if you have little kids, if you give them too much drink, and that drink is, also has caffeine in it, you'll be stopping every 12 miles. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, another, how does this happen? Well, so it's a tricky balance. We keep people hydrated. And of course, there's going to be snacks, right? And when you go to like a gas station, why is it that like snacks just seem better when they've been sitting on a shelf for six months and they're at a greasy gas station, but I need this, right? And so that happens. You, you get all this stuff because that's part of a road trip. And then, of course, if it's a long distance, you're going to need to sleep, which means you'll either have to get into a hotel or maybe find a friend, stay with them. We get that. 
that's all part of being on a road trip. But I want you to know that being a Christian is being on a journey. It's a journey that begins with life in Christ. The moment that you believe in Jesus, I want you to know that God's Spirit not only takes up residence in your life, but you get to begin this journey of walking with him, getting to know him, learning about his love and learning to love God, beginning to see how God is doing his work in you and through you. And it's a journey that's meant to bring about maturity in your life. And it will continue until the moment that God calls you and I home. It's a journey to maturity. But as you go on this journey, I want you to know you're going to face some highs and some lows. You have no idea what God has in store between where you're starting until the time that he actually brings you into your, his heavenly home and in his presence. There's going to be places and twists and turns that you would have never imagined. You couldn't have scripted them. Great highs and, and things you just can't believe that you're going through and working through. And, you know, if you're going to really make the most of this journey, you're going to need to know how to replenish your soul, how to refresh, how to restore, how to bring renewal to your faith. Just like if on, a, on a road trip that you travel, so it is true in this journey with Christ. But here's the problem. How do you restore and replenish your faith in Christ. I want you to know that um, most people, most Christians, don't know how to answer that question. And it leads to a lot of frustration because here I am, I actually know God, I believe I'm forgiven, I know Jesus, I have a relationship, but things aren't working out, and my faith is depleted, and I feel wrecked, and I like, I'm like living and leading on empty, and most people don't know how does God replenish our souls. And if that's your case, I don't want you to feel alone. In fact, one of the key guys of the New Testament couldn't answer that question. And that's why God had the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to write this letter, 2 Timothy. Timothy was the recipient of two letters in the New Testament. And shortly before the Apostle Paul is executed, he writes this final letter, the book of 2 Timothy. And so if you have your Bibles, if you want to open them and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, we're going to begin in chapter 1. And let me just give you a little update uh, and bring you up to speed as to what is going on. Paul is writing from captivity. He is in a Roman dungeon in Rome. He knows that he is about to face a trial, and he most certainly is going to be executed. Uh, he's going to be executed because of an uncompromising faith in Christ. Now, this wasn't the first time the Apostle Paul was in prison. Uh, he had been incarcerated uh, by a procurator in Caesarea. Actually, he had a pretty nice arrangement, and he could write and did. He took full advantage of the opportunities. In fact, he even gave testimony to some Roman um, leaders. But then, of course, you remember that he had also been imprisoned in house arrest in Rome. And in house arrest, you'd have rented quarters, and, you know, Yes, you weren't free, but it wasn't necessarily terrible. And Paul took full advantage of that, writing letters, some of the New Testament letters that we have here, as well as even sharing the gospel with the guard, the praetorian guard, these Roman guards that were watching him. But this time, it's different. He's in a dungeon, and he's about to die, and God has him write a letter, not to the whole Roman Empire, 
Although you'd think like, well, if this is your final letter, the Apostle Paul, you think like, well, it should probably go to the entire empire. Nope. God has him write to one individual, Timothy. Now, he knows at this point, he saw that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these letters would be copied multiple times and started being passed around in the church. And so he knew that was going to happen. But he writes to Timothy. Now, Timothy, he had known for quite some time, about 20 years. He was, Timothy was like the adopted son in the faith. And he took great care. They traveled together. As Paul preached, uh, sometimes he met into some pretty dangerous situations. He'd get beat up. There were times that Timothy was the one that had to try to put him back together. Timothy would watch how Paul led, his messages he would memorize, record. He saw all the aspects of his life, how to deal with difficulty, danger, great, great works of God. When you saw people coming to Christ and yet opposition, Timothy took that all in. But it's now about 20 years later. Timothy is the pastor of a church at Ephesus. It's about 830 miles southeast for where Paul is held in a dungeon, Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus, a port city. It's in uh, modern-day Turkey. And he is pastoring a church that has lots of potential and actually doing a lot of good things, but facing some really dangerous times. And Timothy himself had some pretty significant issues. We do know that he had health problems. I'll tell you, one thing that will take a lot out of you is when you have health issues. Like when you hear from a doctor Something you would, like, I thought I would never hear something like this. And if you have some chronic health issue, it has a way of just depleting you. But Timothy not only had health issues that Paul addresses, like in 1 Timothy 5, he also had heart problems. Problems of the heart where he was discouraged, defeated. There were people that were trying to tear up the church that he was pastoring spreading false rumors, false teachers trying to step in, siphon people off from the church. I want you to know that being a pastor can be extremely difficult and at times very discouraging. If you got the idea like, well, being a pastor, you know, you probably work like, you know, half day a week. You know, all you have to do is kind of show up, eat some donuts, you know, wave, maybe say a few nice things, maybe pray. And that's about all you're good for, right? Pretty cush life. Once you know, having been a pastor for a while, I want you to know, really challenging. Very difficult, especially if you actually love the people you're with and you're shepherding. And that was Timothy's case. And he was discouraged and he was defeated. He lacked clarity and focus. What he desperately needed was spiritual leadership in his life. Someone to come alongside to help recalibrate his soul. And that's what God provided through the Apostle Paul, his mentor in this letter, 2 Timothy. And this letter tells us how we replenish our souls. I tell you, this is, some, this is a great ongoing need in my life, and I'm sure it is for you as well. I'll tell you this. God replenishes our faith through the gifts that he has given. So how does he do it? Well, let me just have you take a look. Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. God replenishes our faith in Christ as we, first of all, remember our heritage because of Christ's life. So take a look. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So here at the very beginning in this introduction, Paul says, I'm an apostle. And it's an, I'm an apostle, he says, by the will of God. You see, at this point of his life, here's Paul. He's in a dungeon. He's going to die for the faith. He is an official sent one. He was a part of the original apostles. And guess what? 
There were people, people that were trying to make his ministry invalid. They were like, eh, I don't think Paul's really an apostle. He's a wreck. He doesn't look really cool. Um, he certainly doesn't dress right. He's, he's got issues. And they were attacking his integrity and the fact that he's an apostle. In fact, this was a huge issue. You can read about it like even in 2 Corinthians to see the extent in which he was enduring such great difficulty, pain, watching these false teachers try to shred the church and the work of God. And yet, he says, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a self-proclaimed apostle. I mean, that happens today, right? There's these people like, man, I need some authority. I think I'll call myself an apostle and get some folks to gather around me and tell me I'm that. I want you to know that's, that's foolishness. He, Paul, he's an apostle by the will of God. God did this. He was one of the official establishing apostles. And once they passed from the scene, they were no more. He says, it's an act of the will of God. And right at the very beginning, here we have it. The whole theme of the book, the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Do you see that verse one? I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. This is the essence of Christianity a living, vibrant, eternal, abundant relationship with Jesus Christ. Being a Christian isn't like, well, i got to follow a code of conduct. I need to hold these certain values. I need to behave in just particular ways, and I'll call myself a Christian. No, being a Christian is to receive the promise of life in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. We once were dead in our sins. We were blind spiritually. We were super selfish. God brings us to our relationship with Christ. We not only see our sin, we see the wonder of the Savior, we receive forgiveness, and we actually receive the Spirit of God who comes into our life. We have life. It's the promise of life in Christ Jesus. I want you to know this is the theme of the book of 2 Timothy, and really this is the mission of Fellowship Bible Church. Our mission is simply this, to glorify God by living out the life that we have in Christ. That word life is an acronym for the key features of the Christian life. What does life in Christ, this relationship, really look like? It produces loving God, investing in others, following his word, and engaging our world. And so right from the very beginning, Paul tells Timothy of the great heritage that he has, starting with the greatest gift he will ever receive. It is the gift of God And he goes on, verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see that? I will tell you this, that life in Christ produces a love for people. Do you see how he addresses Timothy? Timothy, my beloved, dearly loved son, his adopted son in the faith, he says, Look at the gifts that God has given. I want you to know a sincere faith regularly requires spiritual renewal. And right from the very beginning in this introduction, we see what God gives us. He says, look at the gifts that God has given you. Grace, which speaks of unmerited favor, undeserved, unearned. It is the riches of relationship with Christ. It's, it's the, the breath and the and the the arena in which we live. We live in God's grace. He wants us to be overwhelmed, to be enjoying, to experiencing and expressing his grace. He says, not only do you get grace, but you also have mercy, 
which is warm, tender affection to someone in need. So in your times of brokenness and hurt and where life doesn't make sense, I want you to know God understands and he gives you what you need, mercy. Even when you've done some pretty wretched things and you yourself are like really disappointed in your own behavior, God gives mercy, grace, mercy to the undeserving. And here's something that we all need and oftentimes lack, and it's peace. Who gives it? God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Peace. That's just not the absence of war, but it's the presence of Christ that leads to a tranquility of soul. And God gives us these gifts. You see, it's part of our heritage that we have in Christ, that God will eternally and always keep supplying what we need. And so that's exactly what Paul is highlighting. And then notice He's going to now in verse 3, he's highlighted the great gift of our heritage of God himself, the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Now beginning in verse 3, verses 3 through 5, we're going to see that we also have the great heritage of God's people in our lives. And so he says, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So here Paul is saying God not only has given himself, but I want you to know that God has given people, starting with me. And notice verse 3 is a sermon unto itself. Like, think of it. Where's Paul? He's in a dungeon. This is a a very difficult situation. You're you're going to lack food and water. They'll barely keep you alive. You can your outside friends, if they bribe the guards, they might be able to bring you things like food, water, or some parchment to write on. But apart from that, you're going to be in a miserable situation until you face judgment, and you're either going to get free or they're going to kill you. None of this like, well, you'll be incarcerated for 20 years. That never that's a modern day invention. And yet, how is it that Paul is not just totally overwhelmed by his own negative emotions and his own hurt and his own fear. It's right here in verse 3. I'll tell you, look at it. First of all, he cultivated an attitude of gratitude. I thank God. When we can move to what we can be thankful for, that'll start taking us out of the pit. Just, Just start thinking of things. If you're in a deep valley right now, what is it that you can be thankful for? Start thanking God, maybe even out loud, And watch God start replenishing your soul. And then he says, I thank God whom I serve. You know another way why Paul was functioning so well? It's because he saw himself as a servant. When you see yourself as a servant, guess what? Hey, you don't have any expectations, right? It's you're a servant of God. And if God has blessed you and what he's given you, it just leads to gratitude. But... If you think life is all about you and what you can get and what you deserve and certainly all about your rights, you as a Christian are thinking about this wrong. Life isn't about you so much as it's about God and what he's going to do through the life of Christ in you. And Paul is telling us right here, you want to thrive in the midst of great difficulty and tragedy? See yourself as a servant whom I serve with a clear conscience. He cultivated a and kept a clear conscience. Now, let me tell you what a conscience is. Every person has one. It's the innate ability to tell you that you're doing right or to warn you that you're about to do wrong or that you're doing wrong. Every person has a conscience, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, and it's 
works off your highest understanding of right and wrong, morals, ethics, wherever you got them, from your parents, your church, school, wherever you got your understanding of what's right and wrong, and everyone has one, an understanding like that, why, that's what your conscience works off of. And so when you're about to violate it, when you get really close to the line or you step over it, right? You do something you know is wrong. What happens? Your conscience goes off like, wrong, you shouldn't be doing this, right? And then when you do what is right, there's kind of like an affirming, like, yes, you handle that well. I want you to know that, like, you can actually even violate your conscience to a point where you can sear it. 1 Timothy chapter 4 tells us this, in chapter 4, verse 2, that you can cauterize it. He uses the Greek word cauterizo. You know when something's cauterized, like just burned? Right? Think of like branding cattle. Well, you can do that to your conscience where all of a sudden, guess what? You're no longer sensitive to what's right and wrong. The warning system isn't working, and hence, when you're at that point, your depravity run wild. Get out of the way, because who knows what you're about to do. Paul says, you know what? I kept a clear conscience. That doesn't mean that he was perfect. It means this, that when the conscience was warning him, he tried to respond correctly. When he sinned, and guess what we all do? Please don't think that Paul was perfect. No, he wasn't. He's a sinner just like you and me. But when he did sin, what did he do? He went to the one who is holy and redeemer and forgiver and friend and experienced that that. Uh, cleansing as he confessed his sins. And he says, you know what, Timothy, since I'm starting to remind you of your great heritage, I'm telling you what, I'm thinking of my own. He says, verse three, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He's saying, I'm mindful of the patriarchs and the men who have gone before me and how they lived a life of integrity before God. They left me a legacy of integrity. I'm thinking of it, and when you do, guess what it does? It replenishes your soul. And so he's saying, Timothy, I want you to do the same because I, I'm a part of your heritage. I love you. I've invested in you. We got a lot of shared experience. And he says, verse 4, I'm longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. So he says in verse 3, I'm, I'm constantly remembering you in my prayers, night and day. And this is really a great pattern. Uh, as God brings people and situations to your mind, just bring them before God. There's a reason God is doing this. He's training you to become a person of prayer. And like, it's kind of cool how God works, especially when we're thinking about this. Like yesterday I was driving and I saw a guy and there was a truck. He was on the, obviously on the, on the side of the road, on this frontage road. There was another truck that was trying to kind of help this guy. I don't know who they were, but I just like, you know, I should just pray because it's really hot out there. And just pray, God, just help that guy be able to get back on the road. I'm sure that's got to be frustrating and it's really hot out there. But that's someone I don't even know. But think of the people that you do know. And as you see, instead of just plowing through life, Let's learn to pray for the people that we come across. And that's what he's doing. He's praying and he says, I long to see you even as I recall your tears. That final parting where Paul and Timothy were about to say goodbye and Timothy had those tears in his eyes. Paul says, I saw those. And I know the depth of relationship that we have. And I want you to know that I love you. And we're in this together. When you love people, you can lead them. And love is a choice. It's a commitment of one's will. And leading will comes from learning to love people well. And Paul really learned how to do that.
And he's saying, Timothy, remember, I'm a part of your shared heritage, but I want you to also think about your mother and your grandmother. Look at verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Paul says, listen, Timothy, I know you're going through it. I know that you feel discouraged. I know that you might even feel like giving up. But I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. The word sincere, nupokritos, it, it has the idea of inexperienced in the art of acting. It's just like you're real. You're not pretending. You're not putting on a show. You're not throwing out some like nice Jesus words. You're not like trying to impress anybody. You're just the real deal. You're authentic. You're genuine. And Paul says, I'm mindful of that you've got a sincere faith. And guess what? You learned a lot about a sincere faith from your mother and your grandmother. Did you see that? How he, he puts those two women. I'll tell you what. These must have been some pretty impressive women. Your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice. Now, we do know that Timothy's father was a Greek, Acts chapter 16. We have no record that Timothy's father ever became a Christian. And that means that Timothy grew up in a home where either Christianity of his mother and his grandmother was tolerated, but likely it probably was frowned upon, if not a source of great tension in the home. You know, if you were married to an unbeliever and they're down on you because of your faith, I want you to know that could be a really painful experience. Work you over, find your every fault, put you under a magnifying glass, mock your faith, I want you to know, and you're married to them? That's going to be some pretty rough stuff. You know what that's going to require? A genuine faith from God. And that's what Lois and Eunice provided. I will tell you there will be no greater investment a mother will ever make than loving her children and showing them what it means to follow Jesus. Not that you're perfect. Friends, this is how we pass on the faith. You can't inherit it. Isn't it like, well, just because you're a Christian, that means your kids are Christian. No, they have to come to believe. But you model what it means to walk with Jesus. You do life together, just in how you do your meals, how you handle situations. When you sin, when you do something wrong, you ask for forgiveness. You go before God. You let your kids see you read the Bible. They, you, let them see you pray. Let them see how important it is to be involved in the local church. I want you to know your kids, their understanding of Christianity is coming directly from you. And so if you're like, you know, Ah, kids, it's Sunday morning. I don't really feel like going to church. I'm pretty tired. I mean, I watched six football games yesterday. I'm wiped out. I'm staying put. You guys do whatever you want. Go get your phones. I want you to know, they pick up on all that. Like, ah, I see how this works, huh? When convenient and kind of fits in, then we kind of do our thing, right? But on the other hand, if they see you caring for people and sacrifices and, and generous giving and caring for people and praying and going above and beyond the importance of the local church, loving difficult people. You know what that is? You're passing on the faith. You're showing them what it means to follow Jesus. And when you uh, look at planting the seeds of the gospel, remember this, it's God who causes the growth. A few weeks ago at the men's breakfast, 
at the table I was at, I was sitting with Todd Bell, and we were talking about people that influenced our life for Christ. And he got talking about his grandfather, but like the more I heard, like, I, have, I want to know this man. Now, he's with the Lord, but his grandfather, John Samuel Bell, had a tremendous influence on his life and does this very day. In fact, here's a picture of him. I asked Todd, could I just share just a little bit of what you shared. I, how did he influence your life? And I have permission to share this, but this is what he said about his grandfather, John Samuel Bell. There's so much that he taught me that still molds who I am or am trying to be. One of the biggest lessons would be how to be kind even when it is not the easiest thing to do. He always told me that it is the intention of the words, not just the words themselves that matter. Another lesson was that reputation always follows a man, whether good or bad. It is our actions that determines how people remember us. He used to tell me also that all people are a work in progress. There has only been one perfect person without sin. Making a mistake is human. Don't get down on yourself, but admit it to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness and the strength to not repeat the sin. You know what that is? That is godly, practical wisdom. And I want you to know, that has an influence on his life that is significant. That's his heritage. And when you think about your heritage, you know what God does? He replenishes your soul. I'm pretty sure you've heard of the guy named Charles Stanley. Uh, He went home to be with the Lord this year. But, I mean, he has an international ministry, and though he is dead, he still speaks, right? But what you probably don't know is his background, a little bit about his heritage. Charles Stanley was born in September of 1932 in the heat of the Great Depression, And he lived in a very poor farming community. And nine months after Charles Stanley was born, his dad dies at the age of 29, leaving Charles with his mother, the only child. She is an unskilled laborer. She works then for $9 a week in a textile factory in Danville, Virginia. And yet, despite the great challenges that they faced, I want you to know that Charles Stanley's mother, Rebecca, poured into him. In fact, here's a picture of her. She obviously had a sense of humor, right? Skinny cooks can't be trusted, right? But she not only passed on a sense of humor, she invested in him, taught him the Bible. I heard Charles Stanley say this once, that uh, his mother would always pray with him at night before he went to bed. He says, this is the last words I heard. And so when I got up in the morning, I had to get up early because he had a paper route. I mean, they are destitute. They are very poor. He does this paper route. He says, you know, what happened is I'd get out there, and I'm just recalling my mother's words and her prayers, and guess what I did? I just started praying. You know what that is? That's a godly legacy. I can't tell you how many people have told me about their parents or their grandparents who modeled with their priorities how they lived, their passion, their investments, and they modeled a genuine, sincere faith. And when I think of my own heritage, having then come to Christ, I mean, there are, there are countless men and women who have poured into my life, some in some very significant ways. In fact, here's pictures of people that just even looking at them, they just, re, it's like replenishes my faith because I know all the investments that they made, beginning with like a Doug Gardner, like, I mean, best man of my wedding. And the guy was highly instrumental in leading me to Christ. Brett Gilchrist, Tyler Evans, Scott Gilchrist, John Henderson, Gary DeSalvo, Ken Horton. Just to start naming them. 
They're investments. I mean, all the rough edges and the issues that I have and had and encouragement and investment and training and belief and prayer. You know what? Just thinking of my heritage replenishes my soul. And you, you've got a heritage. And when you think about what God is doing in your life and through the people he's used, guess what it does? It replenishes your faith. Let me tell you another way that God replenishes our faith in Christ. He does so as we remember our heritage because of Christ's life, but he also does it as we rekindle our spiritual gifts for Christ's service. Look at verse 6. Paul writes, For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul then says, listen, think of your heritage and think of not only the heritage of God himself, but his people, but remember what God has done. When God calls us to himself, he also gives us gifts to be used for his service, his kingdom development, and his glory. And Paul says, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God that is in you through the laying out of my hands. Paul is referring to an event where he validated and affirmed the spiritual gifts that Timothy had been given, likely gifts of pastoring, teaching, perhaps leadership. They were gifts given by God for Timothy. And Paul says, you need to kindle afresh these gifts. The idea is to keep alive the fire. And so like in every home in ancient Israel, in the morning, whoever gets up first, you got those like dying embers or those coals, you would take some tinder and you put it next, like like some dried up grass, maybe some twigs. And all of a sudden, the flames would start coming back up and you'd feed some more fuel to the fire. That's the idea. You have gifts, but those gifts, they need to be discovered, developed, and deployed. You need to kindle again. In fact, the verb tense is this is an ongoing. This is a way of life. You need to keep rekindling the gifts of God that he has given you. And I want you to know that if you don't do this, if you're like, I'm opting out, I'm a Christian, but I don't serve, I don't do anything, I, I want you to know the body is struggling. Because that's not how it really works. We're gifted for his glory and to serve one another. And the body of Christ thrives when we just use our gifts and willing to serve. Now you're like, well, this is news to me. God has given me gifts? I'm a Christian? Yeah. Let me just tell you a little bit about that. These gifts are completely unmerited. You don't select them. You know, like, you know, I really want to have this particular gift. Spiritual gifts are given by God. They're like, to give you a definition, they're any talent given to believers in Christ at the time of their salvation. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit and used to the building up of the body of Christ and the ministry of the church. The New Testament has four different passages. They list about 29 spiritual gifts. They're not meant to be an exhaustive list, but more representative. These are the kind of gifts that God gives. There are speaking gifts, Gifts used for encouragement, for teaching of the word, for the proclaiming of the gospel with either non-believers, helping believers grow in understanding what it means to be united with Christ, teaching scripture, and even defending the faith. There are those who have been given by God at the moment of their salvation gifts like speaking gifts. They need to be developed 
and trained, it's an ongoing process, right? Just because you have the gift doesn't mean that you're going to be expert at using it. You've got to develop the gift. But there are also gifts of service. This is a wide variety of practical abilities in which people just serve Christ in a wide capacity, whether it be doing things with a, like the lawn or security, uh, investing, serving, picking up tables, whatever the need is, you step in. And there are many people that are gifted to do this. But I want you to understand how this works. Like Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Just listen to this. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as with the one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so you and I, we don't pick our gifts. God has given us the gifts. But when these gifts aren't being used, the body isn't functioning like it should. So how do you actually figure out what your gifts are? Real simple. You start serving and praying, just see where some opportunities, on which we have tons of opportunities. And to ask these three questions. One, what do I like to do? Okay? What is it that, you know, these are some opportunities. I, I kind of like to do this. Okay? I want you to, that's part of identifying. Then the second is what do I sense I'm called to do? What do you sense God has called you to do? Impressions that he has laid on your heart, desires. And then the third question is, well then, what is God blessing? So I step in and I'm trying these things, like, Is it really beneficial? And if you're like questioning that, ask some people that you're serving with. They'll bring about some affirmation. But I want you to know, like at Fellowship Bible Church, we have some pretty significant needs, opportunities, especially like in our children's area. I mean, these are our children. This is the upcoming generation. I want you to know that you and I have an opportunity to step in there. Actually, before first service, I had a guy, and he is for the first time stepping foot in our children's ministry and a teaching capacity. Talking about the working of the Spirit of God in a man's life. That's how it works. And you need to rekindle it. I find this in my own life. i got to keep at this. So I like, one of my gifts is teaching. I actually read books about teaching. My wife probably thinks I read too much about them. But I, I read them. I like listen to podcasts of sermons when I'm working out, when I'm driving. I'd like to talk with other pastors and Bible teachers. These are just ways of rekindling in my own life. And how about you? If you're like just on the sideline and you feel like I've been in a spiritual valley for a long time, and let me just ask you this question. Uh, How are you using your spiritual gifts? You're like, I'm not. I'm waiting till I feel better. That's the problem. You're trusting in your feelings. You need to do what this text says. Rekindle. Bring and fan the flame. And then finally, notice how God replenishes our faith in Christ. He does so as we renew our hearts with Christ's presence. Look at verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Timothy may have been timid. Certainly the difficulties he was facing in the church, false teachers, Roman persecution. A little bit of persecution make you pretty fearful, right? Got to keep it safe. He says, that's not from God. We all face fear. But fear is the enemy 
of faith. And we overcome our fears by going to Christ, being renewed by his presence, his spirit, realizing that no matter what situation we're in, he's in the boat with us, right? And we fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Rekindle your soul by renewing your heart in Christ's presence. God does not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of, notice first of all, power. Look at what depending and delighting on Christ makes. It makes all the difference. God gives us power as we talk to God. We say, God, fuel me, renew me, refresh me. Give me your strength, and he will. It's the power to serve valiantly, to endure patiently, to actually suffer triumphantly, and if need be, to die gloriously. How do you get that? Why, God gives that power. You're weak, I'm weak, guess what? God's strong, we're going to trust him. Let's see what God does. He also gives us the ability to love people as God loves. Where does this love come from? It's the agape love. It's not based on emotion. It's not to say that it's emotionless. It's helpful to have the emotion, but it's an act of the will. I choose to love you. I choose to love you despite how you're behaving. It's this kind of love. It's from God. And self-discipline has the idea of sound judgment, wisdom, where you're not overwhelmed by your emotions. It's through Christ and by focusing on him, guess what? He gives us the stability so we're not just constantly whipped around in the wind by our emotions. But we recognize, despite the troubles within me and around me, God is my rock. And it's his presence that I find peace, power, grace, and mercy. You see, when we do this, when we're renewed by Christ's presence, our souls are replenished. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about the art of self-leadership here. And friends, you and I, there are going to be times when we're going to be stranded on the road. This passage right here, it gets you back on. We're on this journey, this journey in life. It's kind of like being on a long hike. You've got to regularly replenish yourself with water, right? If you're just drinking when you're totally parched and like, oh, I can't breathe, it's a little late. You need to keep drinking while you're walking. You need to be refreshed. And so it is in this journey, this journey with Christ. You see, God replenishes our faith in Christ. As we remember our heritage, we rekindle our gifts and we're renewed by Christ's presence. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the joy it is to be with your people, to open up your book God, our great need, you spell out in the scriptures. For someone who is here today who's never trusted you, would they pray with me now and say, God, I need the promise of life in Christ. You know all about my sin, my wretchedness. I don't even like myself. I need your forgiveness. I need your life. And I'm putting my whole hope, my trust in you. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, Help us to walk in the newness and the promise of life. Help us to truly find ourselves regularly just going back to this passage and finding you replenishing our souls. As we remember our heritage, we rekindle our gifts and we're renewed by your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name.